Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by the Cheap Seat Entertainment Network. Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent. With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the birthday edition of the podcast. That's right. Today is my birthday. I am 46. And on the podcast, I have comedian. You know him from Mad TV. Ari Spears is on the line. And I want to thank Elias over at the Man Cave Chronicles for making this connection. Ari Spears is one of the coolest people. He has an amazing Shaq impression. And we have a really good, in-depth and honest conversation about the industry of comedy and his experiences. And it's a lot of fun. And hey, I'm 46 as of 12 p.m. slash a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I made one more trip around the sun. And thanks to everybody who loves the show and supports it and all of those things. And uh, I could go on and on, but I don't want to waste your time. Ari, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Lots of crazy things we're experiencing right now. The world is in a different place. Uh, what has been keeping you busy and what's been keeping you occupied? Uh, you know, uh, going on the road, touring, doing stand-up, uh, between that and the podcast, uh, you know, it's kind of giving me a little bit of a full plate. Very cool. So you've had a lot, enough to keep you busy, right? During this uh, lockdown and all of that stuff. Are you binge watching yeah. anything or are you just focused on work and kind of keeping it in that direction? Uh, you know, I, I, I try to uh, binge watch as, uh, when I can to catch up on shows that I've always been curious about. I'm probably into, well, I think my fourth season or third of, in the third or fourth season of Sons of Anarchy. Uh of course, I always watch The Sopranos religiously over and over. Uh, NYPD Blue, I'm finally finishing up season 12 of that. So, you know, a little bit of both. Very cool. Well, let's talk about your podcast, uh, Spears and Steinberg, because you recently just hit, or maybe sooner than that, over 2 million downloads on Spotify subscribers. What's the podcast all about and how did that come about for you? Uh, actually, you know, it, the, the name of the podcast is called Spears and Steinberg. And, uh, the other half of the podcast, uh, Steinberg, Andy Steinberg is also my feature comedian. Okay. So he actually approached me about doing it. Um, and I had always wanted to do it, but I didn't think it was something that I would really was equipped to handle by myself. So he and I ended up teaming together since we're on the road every weekend anyway, which is when we actually record it for new episodes every Wednesday. And, you know, we just been rocking and rolling for about, a you know, a little over two years. And, you know, it's, uh, I feel like we live in a very moist era of entertainment right now. You know, just political correctness run amok. And everybody's being told what you can't say, what you can say, what to laugh at, what not to laugh at. Cancer culture is a cancer to entertainment. 
because people lose perspective over the fact that it's just that entertainment and it's subjective. So it's supposed to make you think it's supposed to make you laugh, supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. So that's what the podcast is. It's unfiltered, 100 percent uncut Bolivian cocaine. Uh, (laughs) So we give it to you in its purest form. And we make no bone. Yeah, we make no apologies. We, you know, we raw straight, no chaser. So if you're if you've if you've been drowned in this oversaturation of cancer culture and you want to just be able to be honest and be real and be raw and hear those same kind of things and shit we all talk about behind closed doors or in the privacy of our car with the windows rolled up, that's what Spears and Steinberg is about. Yeah, I feel like when I listen to episodes, it's like uh, two best friends just having a conversation, which obviously you are. And uh, you've covered a myriad of topics and conversations. I want to ask you, you brought this up, this idea of cancel, cancel culture, which I wanted to say cancer. And you said that, which it really is. As a comedian, how do you mitigate all of that and just deal with it head on just from your world? Because you're very unapologetic in your work. And I love it. I've seen you when you've come out to the Bay Area. I've seen you at Cobbs. I've seen you at the Punchline. There is no holds barred with what you have to say, but you do it well and you do it successfully. So again, you know, the big question is, is how do you mitigate it for yourself personally? If I'm just curious. Uh, I, I think you just, you know, don't overthink it and, and, and take it for what it is and, and, and be fearless if, that's, if you have that gene in you. Uh, you know, I started comedy when I was 14. And I'm an 80s baby, so I was born in 75. So I came in, in in that era of Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and George Carlin and Eddie and, and Chris Rock. And, you know, so that's what I believe in. Uh, and, I, and, and I also believe in, 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 in truth. You know, uh, God rest his soul, Patrice O'Neill, one of the greatest comics I think to ever live, to never really get his just due. You know, he always said, stick with the truth. The truth will never steer you wrong. It might get you in trouble from time to time, but nonetheless, you can always depend on the truth. So I just try to to, to, to keep it simple. Don't overthink it. And most of all, just be honest. Yeah, I think honesty is definitely the key. So I'm a 74 baby, so we're pretty close in age. And I grew up watching a lot of some of the similar comics, you know, all of them from uh, Pryor and Cosby, just this whole myriad rock and Chappelle. I remember seeing Dave Chappelle at some tiny little comedy club in Soho, New York, back in the late 80s, early 90s, before anybody even knew who he was. And I, I vaguely remember the comedy, but it was just so honest and real outside of those guys who are other influences and who who do you look to when it comes to just comedy in general what do you find entertaining personally you know i i i you know like music uh with comedy there are different all different types of styles and forms and i appreciate a little bit of everything even if it don't necessarily make me laugh uh a particular style um but nonetheless i'm a student of the game so even if it doesn't necessarily make me laugh, I'm looking to study what it is about that that is making other people laugh. You know, what the technique, the delivery, how well the material is written, the thought process behind it. But I'm more of an in-your-face, aggressive style, like like Patrice and Dave. Yeah, yeah. I find that to be very true. But you always make people laugh because 
your point of view or your observation is, is so unique and special. So when it comes to comedy and writing, what is your approach? How do you approach new material and work it out to where you get it into a well-formed joke, even even into a set? You know, I try not to force anything. Um, I think some people are such in a rush to have such a huge body of work on paper comedically uh, that they don't always put out a good product. I would rather take my time and take a long time and make sure that my hour is undeniably hilarious <clears throat> from hello to good night versus cranking out special after special. And out of an hour, 40 minutes is worthy. The other 20 is trash, you know, or, you know, whatever the percentage ratio is, 70, 30, 60, 40. I'd rather be 100 percent. That's why I love that cocaine reference. Uncut Bolivian cocaine in its purest form. Yeah, <laughs> that is a funny. Uh, I like that. And that might even be the title of the episode. You know, I don't know, because it just seems so real and raw. You and might call it, uh, call it, call it uncut yayo. Because <laughs> from Scarface, when he goes uh, that scene at the motel, when they have the, the chainsaw scene, yes. he tells Chichi, yo, Chichi, get the yayo. So uh, <laughs> that's that's how the that's how the Latino community says cocaine. So uncut yayo. Yeah. And even on your social media, you're just funny. You said something. I can't remember which post something about you can't give somebody fish sticks after they've had lobster or something like that. You just. Yeah. <laughs> you just come up with like these funny one liners and just overall brilliance in my opinion and you also do impressions as well now you did a lot of those when you were on tv and things like that and find yourself working on those or are you just more focused on content and material these days when it comes to performing i mean i'll do it if, I, if it feels organic and it feels right again I, I just don't like to force anything or do it for the sake of doing it if i really have something to do with it if i have a really creative spin on it then i'll put it forth but uh other than that i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not i'm never in a rush to force anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense, especially when you've been doing it as long as you have and your experiences looking back on your career, which is decades long from when you started to now, how has it changed for comedians getting started out from when you got started out? You know, I don't know how much different processes because I'm so far removed from that time. So I can only speculate. But, you know, with social media, you know, it's changed the game. People are a lot more accessible to the public. Uh, and based on something going viral, you can make a name for yourself. Whether or not that sustains you is a different conversation. Because I think at the end of the day, you still have to have the goods. You still have to be able to bring it in terms of substance um, and, and, and great material. And if you could do that consistently, that creates the longevity you need call yourself a comic or give yourself a career uh that sometimes with the social media thing people get in for the quick bang and look it's a window of opportunity if you can capitalize on that you know you can add some buck to your bang but whether or not that sustains you is a different story maybe in the fact that if they don't experience the hustle of coming up in the clubs and working you know in some strange and odd places that forms you as a performer right versus just having that instant success right absolutely it, 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 it 
creates character because, you know, you face challenges and things in the heat of the moment uh, and through repetition and variety that you don't get from social media. What you do in front of your phone is its own art form because, you know, obviously there are guys who have been successful at it and have made a name for themselves. But I think the true test is in being on the battlefield, you know, yeah. just really being on the front lines and being on that stage and interacting with people and, and seeing in real time what it is you have to deal with. The hecklers and people who want to push back or even the booze. And I heard Jerry Seinfeld say something interesting, you know, about his reality shows and these talent shows, not necessarily Last Comic Standing, but other ones where they catapult these people into instant success and they really don't have the backbone to go, you know, I've I failed for 15 years or 10 years before I got really famous. And it, it kind of takes away the character that you mentioned. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, TV is the blessing and the curse. You know, it's like if, if you pull somebody from obscurity and you put them in front of a camera on a national stage and they deliver in a setting that's not realistic to what the game is, seriously, uh, it creates a sense a false sense of, of, of achievement and, and, and status. Um, and that's fleeting, you know, a, a, being on a show, even if it's a hit for a certain amount of time. Yeah. You, you're in that moment in time, you benefit, but it's fleeting because once that's over, it's almost back to square one. Even when you were on mad TV and the height of its performance, you were still out on the road touring, right? You were still performing. Yeah. You, you didn't, yeah. you didn't just ride that wave and stop doing everything. And then, when it was over, decide that you were going to go back out on the road again, right? You were still... No, I've, al I've always been in the gym. You know, if, if uh, comedy, that stage, that's our gym. So I've always, you know, been in that. You probably won't get this reference or, or unless you're a huge boxing fan, but Crunk uh, Gym in Detroit, which is the gym where Emmanuel Stewart used to train legendary Thomas the Hitman Hearns came out of that gym. You know, they, they used to describe it as a, as a dungeon where you just go and you could smell the sweat and stains and the blood. And it was had a hot feeling, a musty feeling of just hell. And come, you know, stand up. Our, our stage is, is our gym. So I've always stayed in the gym. You know, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, they stay in the gym, you know, where some comics attain a certain amount of success and stature and they stop going to the gym. So when they try to return to it, they're rusty and it shows. That's funny that you said that because I was talking to Lunell just a couple days ago and she said the very same thing that you just said. It's almost like this crazy simpatico thing that all comics have. It's like if you don't come out of this pandemic with new material or a new set, you know, you, you have to constantly be working on it, right? Like there's no relaxation really as far as just performing and then just letting it sit on the stove, right? You just got to keep going. Yeah, going exactly. And going. Now, coming up in the clubs, what were some of the challenges that you faced as a young comic that, that you learned that kind of helped shape you and become the person that you are now? To have patience, don't get caught up in the moment, uh, even if it's, especially when it's not in your favor, just kind of, you know, walk, walk, walk softly, walk silently and carry a big stick, how to read a crowd, be feel, just, just be familiar with where you're at, the city, what the locals are into, what they're not into. Uh, just cause what you did worked in San Antonio, Texas, don't mean it's going to work in Detroit, you know, just because <laughs> what you did in New York don't mean it's going to work in Mississippi. It's a different culture. It's a different way of life. Uh, the speed is different. 
So, you know, you learn to adjust accordingly. I want to ask you about this. I like to ask comedians and performers this. There's kind of this saying out there, there's a difference between a comedian and a comic. Have you heard that before? Where one mm-hmm. says things funny and one is can perform funny. Do you think there's a distinction between the two or or, or is it for you if you're funny, you're funny no matter what? You know, it's again, it's all subjective. But the bottom line is we're in the business of funny. So the, the bottom line is make people laugh. That's it. But there's levels to this shit. Like there's anything else. And you look at a Dave Chappelle, he's like the Michael Jordan of comedy. You know, he's at the ultimate level. Whereas a guy like Carrot Top is more like Judd Bushler. They, they both in the game. They both getting paid. They both put on the same uniform. There's a difference between the two. Yeah. I, again, I love all your sports references. I think it translates well uh, to our listeners and uh, it's fantastic. So looking back on your career again, was, would there be anything that you would do differently that you learned from any mistakes or would you have just done everything the same no matter what? Uh, you know, I once had a dinner with Chris Rock and uh, at the time he was doing his show on HBO and I had really wanted to see if I could interest him in producing something for me. Uh, he gave me three things of advice towards the end of the, the dinner. Keep writing, stay as funny as you can and try not to piss these white folks off. So I would take that one if I had it to do all over and choose my steps differently. That's interesting. I, I find that because you've done so well, but again, there's pieces of this that we don't see as observers, right? You know, unless we're on a podcast having this conversation, because I think you've done successfully well, just from my solo perspective, whatever that's worth. But I appreciate your honesty. And I, I've done, I've, I've done, I've done well in terms of uh, longevity and uh, being relevant and, and mattering to the people who aren't in affiliated with show business. You know, again, I got to go to a, to, to sports, but uh, in, in a boxing term, you know, there's the people's champ and then there's the paper champ. Some comedians are people's champs. Some people are paper champs. And when I say paper champ, I mean with the industry on paper. They're loved and adored by the industry. And the industry is going to do whatever it takes to keep pushing them. Uh, whereas the people's champ ain't popular within the industry, but the fans love them to death. Then there are guys who are both. Uh, Kevin Hart, he's the people's champ and the paper champ. The streets love them and the industry loves them. I'm not the champ on paper, but the people love me. So the goal is to try to figure out a way how to get the industry to fall in love with me. (laughs) I've never heard it put that way before. That's very interesting, but it makes sense really because thinking about it, just listening to your answer and thinking of a list of comedians that come to mind, there definitely is a distinction, right? Between the paper champ and the people's champ. But hey, you know, you've done well for yourself and uh, I just love it because you've created such a body of work that will live on in infamy on YouTube, on reruns. Um, You know, you just Google your name and, and all of your iconic moments come up and that sort of thing. At what point did you go, I'm a professional, this is something that I could do full-time and for the rest of my life? The moment you get paid for what you do, you're a professional. So I don't care if it's $10 million or $10. The moment someone pays you for your services, you are a professional. But like I said, there's levels to this. Where you're at in that uh, on that pay scale and success scale, you know, 
that's that's a different conversation. But yeah, I realized I, I when I when I started between Mad TV getting a paycheck every week and going out on the road every week and not having to work a regular nine to five is when it was like, OK, now I got a career. Well, as we wrap up here, I want to say thank you for your time. I want to talk about Mad TV. I would be remiss uh, if we didn't talk about it. I think as far as the style and the approach of your comedy, I don't even look at it as a competitor to other types of sketch shows because it has produced like in living color, iconic stars like yourself. I mean, just the list goes on and on. What was that experience like for you in the moment as you're performing it for when you got it to win its peak of of popularity? Uh, You know, I'm grateful for it uh, because it certainly gave me an identity and a name uh, that I didn't have before. And it gave me a platform to really showcase what it is I always wanted to do. Uh, and it also allowed me to work with some really great people comedically that I got a chance to learn from and who I myself enjoyed watching. Mo Collins, Will Sasso, Deborah Wilson, Nicole Sullivan, uh, Michael McDonald, Phil Lamar, Stephanie Weir, Alex Bornstein. So, I, you know, it was, it, was, it was awesome in all those ways. And I mean, look, in all honesty, if I had my choice... Growing up, you know, I, like, again, I was an 80s baby. I, 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 Eddie Murphy raised me on SNL. He made me want to be a comedian. And, you know, I always felt like SNL on Mad TV never really got the respect from the industry, again, that it deserved. Because um, I would go in on auditions, you know, producers or casting directors or directors would go, you're on that show, right? Like, they kind of heard of it, but they didn't. And I kind of felt like if they really knew the show and appreciated it the way the fans did, things might have been a little bit different. And let's be honest, in comparison to the two, Saturday Night Live is like, you know, the NBA, whereas, you know, Mad TV was more like the what are they, whatever the CBA, you <laughs> okay. know, or the, or, or the ABA. Okay. <clears throat> because, you know, ABA produced Dr. J. Um, and and I, I, I'm, other than Dr. J, I know there was more guys, but really, other than Dr. J, who was the biggest star from the ABA, uh, there were respectable guys that came from that league who eventually went on to play in the NBA. So again, I kind of feel like we never really got the respect that we deserved. But, you know, sometimes that's the road you travel. Yeah, I think so. And just like you have said, even from the very beginning, just being thankful for your opportunities and just really recognizing all of those different things. And they've shaped you into who you are. And uh, we love it. And you have given myself and millions and millions of other people, my friend, uh, just a great body of work. I, I can't overstate it. And we got a killer shock impression, right? That was, I think, a, def- <laughs> a defining uh, moment uh, on uh, Mad TV to this day. I've seen other well, people. Well, you know, I'm always, always dominant in the paper. When I dominate and I play, I dominate. Everybody <laughs> knows if I get 20 and 10, those are my numbers. I was going to dominate. And you look at guys like Joel Embiid, big man, but he got dominated in that paper. <laughs> thank you sir for your time i know you have a very busy day if people want uh, to learn more about you or contact you how can they do that my friend again the podcast is called spears and steinberg uh, it's available on all streaming platforms google play amazon spotify apple uh anchor and also if, to make it easier for you uh just dm me in my instagram under aries spears blue f- uh, verification check mark so you know it's me uh dm me and i'll send you the links personally well thank you sir for everything Ari. thank you for being on the show i really appreciate it thank you for having me brother that brings today's episode to an end thanks for choosing to stop by and listen 
If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. Today's episode of the Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by Cheap Seat Entertainment.